Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this uh, Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Glad to hear that you're safe, and hopefully everybody is. It should stay that way. And those who are in need of a speedy recovery, both in our community and outside our community, we pray that they have it as soon as possible. This thing is is deadly, literally, as we know, and it's just uh, enough is enough, Um, especially with all the bad news that we wake up to uh, every single day, unfortunately. We'll start this conversation, though, on on the positive note that I just mentioned a, a minute ago, and that is the 72nd birthday of the state of Israel. Obviously, there's, uh, there are no events uh, uh, per se, in-person events that we could promote, uh, but we should keep it in mind, like anything else, uh, like anything else that's going on during COVID. We try to uh, keep uh, the important things at the forefront. Uh, we should not take it for granted that uh, this coming Wednesday is Israel's 72nd birthday. Your thoughts? I think that uh, it's especially important this year that uh, we remember, and especially because there are no uh, gatherings, as ours in many shuls would have special minyanim and uh, other commemorations, that uh, we realize how important Israel is to us. I think everybody, uh, you know, follows the casualty figures here and there. And, you know, there's one thing that I think... Uh, could good that could come out of uh, COVID-19, and that is that they realize how how small and narrow the world is, that it it has enhanced the interrelationship between Jewish communities around the world and with Israel. And I see it on these briefings that I do for for these global briefings, Zoom conferences, uh, how much concern there is about what is happening in other countries, and particularly in Israel, and the fact that people have not been able to visit something that they took for granted that they could always do, and Israel would just be there and available to them. I think that this, there are so many lessons that we can learn from all of this, from, from what has happened, and, and realize the value of family and people who've been home now with their families and those who are still talking to them um, <laughs> to, <laughs> to, um, to, to appreciate it. And, you know, you think that you've been home for a month. Everybody, if you would have said that to somebody, how can you sustain? Could you be home for a month? And yet people, me, you know, you, you get to appreciate it. You get to say, you know, this, this is tolerable. Yeah. You can, you, you can find value in it. How much more learning there is in it's all fun- of the creative approaches. Yeah, and it's funny because I saw the other day online they were talking to certain families where little kids, and I don't mean little, little, but, you know, kids who are growing up are not used to seeing their parents very often because of the way we live these days. And, and they've loved the last month. They've loved it because everyone's around and giving them attention and playing games, et cetera, et cetera. And things that you would have taken for granted now that you don't have it, yeah. you realize it and how much just – being able to see your your children, grandchildren, to 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 have the personal contact. To, I mean, there are so many things that that I think can be talked about on a philosophical, emotional. Oh, no question level. about it. You know, it's funny on the on the visiting Israel thing. I it's it's something to consider. You know, now we don't feel it as much, and uh, I mean, someone like yourself who's always traveling there obviously feels it. But in general, we're not feeling it that much because we are so isolated under these conditions. But at some point. 
when things are relaxed and travel still is not allowed, it's going to really start to gnaw at us, those who you know, like to pay visits once in a while to Israel. Uh, is there any indication? I know that in Israel there's somewhat of a relaxation of the, of the restrictions. And I know that on Yom Atzmud, it's going to get much stricter because they're worried about people you know, going out and celebrating, etc. That I get. But is there even a game plan or anything that you've heard that's been discussed in terms of how long it would take to get Israel back to a full operation of travel, uh, of being a travel base for around the world? It, 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 to to um, get all the airlines functioning, remember, this is a global issue. It's not just um, Israel that uh, El Al, which has been still flying to pick up Israelis stranded in various countries around the world. I mean, you saw the, the record flight from right. uh, Australia. Um, so El Al could be, uh, could be flying, but when their staffs have been, have been um, furloughed for all of this time, and um, we don't know whether all the airlines will come back to the same schedules they had before. And when people can't plan, you know, people to go away, let's say, this summer – they do that, make that decision before Pesach. They make the decision in, in April. Right. Now they can't make decisions, so you're not going to have a summer tourism season. Right. You'll have some pent-up business demand. You'll have some others, but people are not going to uh, you know, undertake in, in July or something, generally, a trip. You may not even have a Jewish holiday tourism season. And you may, exactly. The, 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 the talk is that it will take Certainly nothing before September. Someone said to me, you don't realize, and of course I don't because I don't work in airports, but they don't, you don't realize just for one flight to land how much staff you need at an airport. And that would mean bringing everybody back and obviously getting everybody into position just to you know, accept the number of flights that Israel's used to, uh, even if it's just from one city or with one airline. Um, so who knows? The answer is who knows. In terms of the restrictions, I, I, I know that you know, you're full of, fully aware, obviously, of what I just discussed regarding this week in Yom Atzimut. But any other timetable regarding Israel? Do we know uh, how loose these restrictions a week from now might become? No. First of all, they have to test it, and nobody has yet uh, really come up with a formula. You know, there are countries that had uh, limited restrictions, and we don't know yet the real numbers. I mean, we don't even know from the countries, you know, that are monitoring this very Closely, all of a sudden, we find out that they didn't count people who died at home. We don't they, that, uh, that millions may have been affected and uh, didn't know about it. Um, that the uh, th- th- there's so many mysteries yet about this. So whatever is done, it's going to have to be done gradually and has to be tested and see what can be done safely. So I know people get impatient, and there are people who demand you know that they should open the, everything up. It's not so simple, and just just look at, in our community at the, the losses that have been sustained, yep. and the Masaskims and the other services that that monitor this, the numbers they have are are astounding, and unfortunately, as you said, every day we look at the paper and there's there are more and more, and at this an inordinate number of uh, rabbanim and, and leaders and uh, people who. Uh, who've died from this. So I, I, I think people have to be patient, and I know that it's not always easy. But, you know, then we have to think about, this is something I've been pressing leadership here in Israel everywhere, is the the, the day after, to think about what what is the, the economic dislocation, to talk about 
the, you know, the budgets, what the, the states and cities and federal governments are going to do. They give away trillions of dollars. Yeah. You know, that has, bill has to be paid at some point. There has to be, you know, some examination that, uh, you know, when the checks run out, what happens? You know, the, half of Americans don't have more than $500 of emergency money. And the, you know, the, um, inability of many places to reopen. And I'll tell you another thing that as a community we need to worry about, and that's the number of widows, widowers, and orphans that are going to be, need us to help take care of them in the aftermath of all this. Absolutely right. I was going to come to that. But, you know, so that you have then the unemployed and the um, social unrest. You know, stores just board up their windows because they're afraid that, that uh, of what kind of actions could, could take place. And there is a lot of frustration. Uh, I think it's it's remarkable how quiet it has been and how um, contained in the, the job police, the, I think government officials, others trying to address uh, some of these potential sources of, of uh, tension. But the day after, we have to think about the impact of, how, of the, all the anti-Semitic stuff that's going on on the Internet, right. where they're blaming Jews like we have seen throughout history when there are plagues and terrible things um, uh, the Black Plague. From we know from Jewish history that Jews get blamed, and it has led to, to terrible consequences. We see it now. That and it's led to it's, it's led to some outrageous comments also by government officials. There have been, and, and there are some who have t- taken on and, and uh, demanded, uh, you know, that these things stop. But uh, the internet has enabled people to, to spread these lies and distortions. And the uh, you know they even go to members of Congress to say that Israel is denying right. aid to Gaza when in fact it's quite the opposite is true and certainly to the PA and you know the United States has given five million dollars to the PA and nobody gives them credit and they gave gave out tens of millions of dollars to different Arab countries but nobody writes that and Israel gave a loan to the PA in addition to sending in equipment to Gaza and the medicines and stuff to Gaza too. And to the uh, Palestinian Authority, because obviously it's also in Israel's interest to keep to contain any uh, spread amongst the Palestinians, and because they interact, and many of them come to work in uh, in, in Israel. So you, you, we we have not even begun to think about what the impact will be on Jewish organizations and Jewish life. How many of them will be able to do fundraising? How many? How much money will there be? That right, all the money right now goes to feed people as it should be needs, but it could be, you know, another four or five months before people can even think of having a fundraising event. So they'll do it virtually, but I think think that there will be a lot of Jewish organizations, there may be institutions, schools, and others that will not make it, that will not be able to reopen. No question about it. And I mentioned the widows, widowers, and orphans. You know, back in 2008, during the crash, I remember that Somebody, a well-known person in our community, made a destination wedding, and which is fine. I mean, they could obviously anybody could do whatever they want with their money and certainly celebrate with their family. But I remember how much resentment there was not that, not not of people who were saying, "Oh, you know, I'm jealous of them," but people who felt it was such a bad visual at a time when there was so much suffering. You know, people are going to think five times before they make a hundred thousand dollar bar mitzvah after this whole episode because of the money that's needed for the widows, widowers, and orphans, and for the bad visual when the community as a whole and the world as a whole is suffering the way it is. I agree. And and by the way, when you mentioned about the Yom Atzmuta, I was going to say that, you know, that this week was the, the 100th anniversary of the San Remo Conference, which is 
all but forgotten, but the St. Remo Conference after World War I, when the powers got together to divide up the uh, Ottoman Empire right. and, and established what is most of the boundaries in the Middle East, creating the Arab countries, many of the Arab countries. And um, uh, in, 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 uh, that was in 1922. Uh, and it enshrined, most importantly for us, the uh, Balfour Declaration of 1917 right. and recognizing a Jewish homeland, which was then led to, uh, it was instruction to the, instructive to the League of Nations and the mandate and people, you know, who, who today are denying Israel's legitimacy and using the cover of Govan now to still push that agenda, the BDS movement. And while it's it's less visible, uh, we still, we see its manifestations everywhere. And we should remind people of the history. I mean, this is was recognition under international law of the right of the Jewish people to the Jewish homeland in Palestine. And, uh, you know, too often these dates go um, unnoticed. You know, there's a famous story that Rav Cook, then the chief rabbi, uh, Cook Zetzal was walking in uh, in the streets, and I think in Yerushalayim, and he wore his yantif clothing, right. his Shabbos clothing, right? And he was mocked, right? And he he they he, and they said to him, "What are you doing?" Uh, so he reminded him of the pasuk called All of those who yep. truly mourn Yerushalayim will get to see the um, we'll the get joy. to celebrate and it's true. What do you mean? Why, why does it say the joy? Why does it say the rebuilding? Because everybody will see buildings, but the joy only those who are truly misabel or to truly mourn. Yep, I was I was told that story many a time growing up. <laughs> uh, by the way, so just g- give me the history in a sec. So 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 the mandate was in seventeen, and then there was an alteration of certain borders in twenty two. No, the Balfour Declaration, which was British, was in nineteen seventeen. But what didn't the mandate start right after World War One? Or am I wrong yeah. about that? Oh, it did. So in twenty two, there was no change to the well, Palestine they, borders. The but, mandate is part of this, right? So there were no changes to the Palestine borders in twenty two, but there were changes in borders to other countries. Well, we cre- they ultimately they created Jordan out yeah. of that. Right. And uh, I mean, over the years, there were uh, subsequent uh, agreements, but but. You know, that is one of the reasons through Sykes-Picot and Zeta, where we created countries that were not real countries. These are artificial borders right. like Syria, right. um, which was, uh, you know, and originally um, you had a, a, an area from Lebanon to Palestine to then Palestine, then Israel uh, uh, to, to uh, what is now Syria covered altogether. Then they had to divide up uh, some of the boundaries, but they created artificial countries and that's why they couldn't stand the strains that in Egypt or Morocco which are real countries with real identities that Libya is 147 tribes it was not a natural country and so all these things have had ramifications up until today mm, very cool it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at nachomsegel.com and the nachomsegel network and of course on the beloved NSN app uh, so, new leadership all around. Let's start with Israel. Do we, in fact, have an agreement for a unity government? There is an agreement. Um, unity is a, a tough word, but it, uh, <laughs> it's, it is the most detailed agreement, I think, that people have ever seen. And I'm sure nobody here has read it, but uh, it is so detailed, even down to the fact that the 
prime minister and the deputy prime ministers will each get official residences that if one of the parties of the two and they get equal number of ministers which means that each has really a veto power but if any of them doesn't vote for the budget say or something then the other party becomes the prime minister for up to six months wow until there's an election i'm saying to you i'm just giving you an example of right. of the detail in which this, and there's still a lot of things that have to be resolved. You see that a lot of the appointments haven't been made yet of the of the ministers. There's going to be up to 36 ministers and 16 deputy ministers. Yeah. The um, um, it's still not decided what Yamina's relationship, the Bennett party, will, will will be or whether it'll even be included. Right now, it does not look like it is. The defense ministry and the foreign ministry and other key ministries, justice, are going to blue and white. I think Gantz negotiated a, a very good deal for himself. Uh, but they go into the Knesset with uh, over 70 seats. And the the fact is that while it looks like Gantz did something clever, it was actually, I think, Netanyahu got a great deal because nothing much can happen in Knesset unless it's a government issue, uh, a government-agreed uh, position. And the the focus now, and, and this is an emergency government right now, to deal with the COVID and its aftermath, then it becomes a regular government. And, you know, in 18 months, they switch the prime minister, which also means that Ashkenazi might become defense minister, or Bibi will be defense minister and deputy prime minister. The uh, Bibi has the right to veto who gets to become attorney general, I think the state attorney. Uh, but the justice ministry is Nixon Corn, who's, who's blue and white. The... Um, um, I'm trying to think of some of the more bizarre uh, content of this thing, but it's has a, this started already? I mean, well, you said the emergency government is in right. That, that's already begun, right? Like that stage is already uh, in effect. Well, the Knesset, yes, it's Knesset uh, there, and right now Gantz is the is the speaker, but it's going to go to Likud and Yuli um, so Edelstein has said if he's not uh, going to be speaker, he doesn't want anything. Um, so the clock hasn't started getting anything. I mean, there, there there are a lot of personalities yet that that have to be satisfied. Um, Is the health minister going to become the housing minister? It's likely that Litzman uh, won't be, but uh, and we know that uh, there's a conflict between several ministers over different portfolios. Um, the um, uh, that Katz will likely be the um, uh, finance minister. Um, but the rest, uh, a lot of it is still up in the air, and, and there might be veteran ministers who will not be included, but it's, it, there's a lot of negative reaction to the fact that you're going to have so many ministers and the cost you know, of a car and a driver and a staff for each of them. Uh, the cost of another election would have been uh, very great as well. When does the clock start on the 18 months? After this emergency is over? No. Well, the first, uh, I think it's the emergency government is six months or or year, but the... Oh, and then it starts. Then the 18 starts. No, the 18 starts right away. Oh, so it's now already. Right. So, so within 18 months, we're going to have a new election, right? I mean, I know you don't no. like to predict, but it's very, very likely, right? No. It's, well, it's not likely? Uh, I think that the, that the transition will take place. Wow. I mean, people say they don't trust Bibi, that Bibi will yeah. sabotage it. We don't know. Or he'll at least go down fighting. <laughs> but I think it could be in its interest. And when you have such a big government, by then, you know, right. you'll always have some splintering over some issue. Right. But I think the government could last. I mean, it's a very big 
broad swathing, and nobody has an interest in going to an election because there's no more blue and white. So, you know, the polls show that they wouldn't do well. Right. So they don't have an interest in breaking the government. And Netanyahu, again, we don't know the outcome of all the legal proceedings, uh, probably wouldn't have that much of an interest in, in seeing the in seeing the government fall. Right. Um, and speaking of leadership, your reaction to Diane Lowe being the incoming uh, chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Well, she hasn't been elected yet. She's been nominated out of a number of candidates, That and there is a um, nominating process. There's a committee that is broadly representative of the conference that interviewed and several times the candidates and made a recommendation. She's a very fine person, and there's a lot of screeds on the Internet because people have too much time right now, and they can just uh, last and say things, much of which is, is not true. There are some troubling things that, that took place but in the organization that of which she was president, but not involving her. There was none, in some cases, just by the executive who signed as on a personal basis and wrote that it was on a personal basis. Um, but I think she, if, she, if it goes ahead, she will... She's a very respected uh, person, very accomplished, and by uh, virtue of the position, we've had people from across the political spectrum over the years, and they, they have to represent the, um, the views of the conference members, and she's certainly somebody who is uh, very committed to Israel and is not uh, on the extreme as they, uh, as some people have tried to portray her. Right. I hear that. And uh, and and I acknowledge that I, I just uh, at some and I'm not going to put you on the spot, but it, but it's, uh, at some point I think someone needs to recognize that uh, immigration organizations that started as Jewish immigration organizations, including some of the ones in this neighborhood here, I think we need to recognize that they're they're not serving the same purpose they did uh, at their founding, and I, and I think that that that's a, an important discussion to have. I'm not saying I'm pro or con. Uh, anything at this point in terms of where they ended up or what they're doing, but I think it's an important discussion to have. Frankly. That may all be a discussion that will be had, but nobody asked for it before. You know, you can't ask for it retroactively. Oh, I've been bringing it up for 10 years. No, no, no. I know, I know. You know, people writing me the screeds, I do not participate and did not participate. I don't vote in it. I don't. I'm not in the deliberations on it. Malcolm, if you voted or had a role, I'd be the chairman of the conference. Come on. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. Exactly. I'd be king of the conference. Are you kidding me? My my dream. I once actually fell asleep and dreamt that you were the one who decided to become chairman, knowing that I'd be in the number one position. I wouldn't want to be the one to have to make that decision. I mean, because <laughs> we have really good candidates. It's time three of them uh, who were in the final discussions. Oh, so and... why is the press saying that she's the fait accompli? I wonder why they're doing that. Anyway. Well, she, I mean, she's now the one candidate that oh, they so are recommending. It. Got it. All right. There is a process for people to challenge if they want. I mean, candidates right. could challenge from the floor. So we're already right down now, to one. Right now, that is not, does not appear to be We're We're already down to one. By the way, and I'm tossing this out, and obviously this is not really for the air, but I'm going to say it anyway. I wonder if she would visit us here one day and have that discussion with me about the role of, uh, of, Jew, of historically Jewish immigrant organizations and their role today. I'd love to have that conversation. Well, when we're able to visit with people, um, uh, she's very open. And, <laughs> good point. Uh, has... Good good point. I can't have anybody here now, but that's that's a very good point. Uh, <laughs> what do you know about this um, a plot to bomb Teddy Stadium in Yerushalayim? So Israel prevented several attacks, including one at, uh, at 
Teddy Stadium. And as you know, because of the obsession of everybody with COVID and properly, um, if you look at the front page of the Israeli papers, for instance, you know, the stories are just essentially about that, unless there's a, a scandal of the day that they get to write up. Uh, and people are not uh, looking, and this story just came out in the last two days, about the um, the uh, ability of the intelligence agencies in Israel to overcome and to, to, to identify. But uh, what what worries me is that so much is happening. And, you know, the stories with the Hezbollah fighters and the attempts to break through in the Lebanese border in various right. places, and that Israel, you know, struck at, at uh, people in, in um in Syria, or somebody struck it, somebody <laughs> people in Syria, but Israel right. did strike along the Syrian-Lebanon border where they hit a Hezbollah car, but they allowed the people to escape and then and gave the knock on the roof. And essentially, this was a warning to tell them, look, we know who you are, we know where you are, and if, it, but they, wouldn't, they didn't kill them because they don't want to see uh, an escalation of, uh, of tensions right now. Right. Uh, something that, you know, people... Are questioning and asking if there's there's a change in policy. You know, Iran launched a, a military satellite and took credit for it. But but the truth is that it's not the satellite alone that's the problem. Is that this is a way for them to be able to test to test and develop their intercontinental ballistic missiles, which by the way the attempts in the past failed. This one succeeded, uh, and this is a violation of the JCPOA. And we want to see this proper of, of UN resolutions, in fact, because this is uh, capable of carrying a nuclear warhead, this ICBM. And, you know, again, it gets very short shrift. Well, was there a White House reaction to it or not? Yes. And the White House took very strong stand, demand that there be sanctions against it. They demand also that the, you know, the, the arms embargo against Iran ends in less than six months. And we know that China, Russia, others are just chomping at the bit. They probably have the orders ready to be shipped. And so U.S. is also pressing for an extension in that regard. They've also been pressing about the um, uh, Iran's increased aggression in Iraq and activities in Syria. Uh, I mean, throughout the region, that at a time when their economy is in free fall, right. that the number of people there who, are, who have died and suffered is, is far greater than the Anything that has been said, that drop in price of oil obviously impacts them as well. But they are still engaging in, in all of this um, uh, export of, of terrorism. Uh, and, you know, what Hezbollah does, obviously Iran has a big hand in it, and the same thing is true in Gaza. And what, what, what is, you know, it's interesting that people are making demands that the U.S. lifts the sanctions on Iran, uh, when, in fact, Iran has plenty of money, they have plenty of cash reserves to pay for medicines, if that's the issue, and none of the sanctions that U.S. imposes limits medicines going in. Mm -hmm. So this is really an attempt to undermine the sanctions regime. It's not because it's a humanitarian crisis that uh, that demands uh, that they do. And, and you know, we see other issues like Hamas, uh, Turkey, inviting Hamas leadership to come in and live there, guys who are banned or um, to come from Gaza and to to operate out of there, which would give them much freer hand in carrying out attacks against Israel nationally and internationally. I mean, within the the region and outside of it, and the um, um, the danger that that represents as well. So we have uh, so many issues, let alone the annexation issue. And you know, the Secretary of State addressed that as well. 
and urged that the um, um, you know said that this is an issue that Israel should resolve that this is not for outside parties to, to have to deal with. So I mean the the, the U.S. and Israel before that can take place, right. which is after July 1st in the agreement, um, would coordinate uh, the positions. And obviously there will have to be a lot of outreach to some of the Arab countries to try to minimize the negative reaction. Uh, but it does look like uh, Israel will, will move ahead in some fashion on that. Unbelievable. Uh, all right, a couple of quick things. People need to know, and sometimes I'm at the mercy of my listeners who insist I ask you, uh, do you know any details about this story about the uh, – uh, Chabad emissary who is turning down the opportunity to light a torch, quote unquote, for Yamat's mood. Uh, I know the details. I just don't know. Nobody has given a reason, and there was no reason in the letter that uh, Chabad Bezdin said to her, sent to her. Uh, she was designated by Israel to be a recipient because of the work uh, they do in, in hosting uh, Passover, right. um, huge Passover things, and reaching out to Israelis who, and symbolic of all the. Chabad houses. So I don't know what the reason was. Uh, I don't think she knows the reason. She's obviously accepting it, but said that the, you know, the real reward for her is being able to serve the Jewish people. Another one from our listeners. Um, your reaction to J Street endorsing Joe Biden? Well, what's troubling to me is the the the, uh, the way Joe Biden accepted the endorsement. You know, anybody can endorse anybody, but. Um, you know, because the concern is what influence do extremist groups have in in the Democratic Party? Where and our concerns about what will happen at the convention, what the platformer will be, um, and the um, um, you know the impact of the Sanders delegates will be and the positions that he has advocated and that people have threatened aid, including J Street signing onto some of these terrible letters. And J Street, under the Trump administration, has been marginalized. And they they can continue to raise funds and you know support some candidates. They lose most of the time, and they they back uh, some of the quid and uh, others um, of the squad. But the you know they were much more marginalized. And if he gives them more relevance, then that's obviously not good. But. I think right now he just welcomes any endorsements that he gets. <laughs> Very good point. And finally, uh, nothing makes us cringe more as a community, especially when noticeably uh, Jewish people, God forbid, do something wrong, obviously. Uh, thank God we could take great pride that people from our community, including many who are noticeably Jewish, so to speak, are taking part in this uh, antibody testing and donation and, uh, and I'm glad to see that a lot of mainstream media uh, sources are picking up the story. Yes, but there, there's also an attendant story that uh, a lot of these sales of the testing kits, according to doctors, are not good. And, and people only in an authorized place, a hospital. Yeah, I think they're recommending Mount Sinai and the Mayo Clinic one in New exactly, York. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Are, they are legitimate and very important. And you're right. I think that, the, that there was a positive reaction um to the story and to to um, the visuals that that came out, uh, but again, people should not fall for you know a lot of these fly by night things and remedies and buying stuff that is really not legitimate uh, PPE. But we have to be very careful because there are a lot of scam artists and a lot of people who are selling things. And I know uh, Dr. Ditchick and others have uh, expressed uh, warnings about it. You know, people clutch onto every straw and. Um, 
I know that there are legitimate things to do, taking vitamin C or zinc or other. I don't want to get into because I, I, I know nothing about it. Right, then you'll be you'll be accused. Uh, no, of I'll, playing be, a I'll be arrested for practicing medicine <laughs> on the air, and I'm, but I'm taking you with me because I'm not going alone. Um, that the, um, um, you know, and and uh, you were it saying becomes that a vulnerable time for people. Because everybody wants, you know, something that that looks like it can work. But this is an important thing to get developed the antibodies, and maybe that will be a solution. You know, that Israel's working on uh, a vaccine, which we think in a, in a month the the animal trials will begin from uh, Migal and uh, the stem cell from Pluristem and Bonus Myo Group uh, looks promising. I mean, there are a lot of things that, uh, and, and we should note the return of Ellie Beer this this week. When oh, all yeah. the bad news, this was very good news after, you know, so many weeks on arrest. And unfortunately, we, we acknowledge the losses. Also, too many to unfortunately to mention. And the you know this, this is again something we'll have to deal with. Yeah. And also the shame that Yom Hashoah passed with the and that the we could only do online commemorations. Although some of them were very moving and powerful, and especially Rabbi Lau's remarks that after it's the first time in 30 years he didn't lead the March of the Living. Wow. In uh, and and was in Yom Hashoah in Auschwitz. Um, and, you know, this is the 75th anniversary of Bergen-Belsen's liberation, Sachsenhausen, uh, I think Nordhausen. Uh, and we, we again, there were all sorts of things planned to commemorate it. And I would have been in Poland this week. But, um, you know, this is another one of the tolls that is taken. And, and we have to see what will happen with Holocaust education and all the other things and fighting anti-Semitism, the resources needed when governments are going to be under tremendous strain. Um, to to address it, and it, again could have long term longer term uh, r- ramifications. No question about it. And and you're right; it's it's impossible to go through the list of everybody. But I have to, I want to acknowledge uh, uh, two people that we lost uh, this week. Uh, you mentioned to me off the air, of course, Marvin Schick, and I say that because and and make the exception for him because of the broad coalition of people in the community who were assisted by him. Uh, over the years, I don't think there's an amazing a... man, and I think that when his history is written, we will people will come to appreciate. I work closely with him in all the years, even during the Lindsay administration. I mean, what he did for Klal Yisrael, his leadership the, of the yeshiva, and, and, and so many other things. And I think you would agree that there was no segment of our community from left to right that didn't depend on him in some way. Absolutely. And I, I have to acknowledge Noach Dear, especially because of the role Absolutely. he played in, in our network and our show for so many years, and. Uh, uh, I, I wrote on Facebook that he took my career as seriously as he took his and wanted to see everybody succeed. And you know what I said to, uh, to his family, Malcolm? I said that the way he behaved on the bench for the last 20 years, uh, fighting for you know for every downtrodden New Yorker that he could, uh, justified what he did as a uh, government official. Because a lot of people always say, you know, government officials, they do this they want to be elected, they do this because they want favors, et cetera, et cetera. I think the last 20 years... Uh, just uh, completely validated um, what he had done in his uh, previous career. Even he was criticized for it, but he sustained it because he did it out of principle 100%. and 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 uh, a belief. And I also have to mention Shiki Labowitz, right. who was uh, who passed away. It was uh, my daughter-in-law's uncle and um, another. I mean, so many people who played yeah. va- uh, vital roles in the community. And uh, you see all the rabbanim, and it just uh, again, I don't know how we recuperate from from scores of of leaders and rabbanim who, Rashi Yeshiva, others who we have lost, but here and in Israel, yeah, and Europe as well. 
The name's and coming Europe, out of Europe. Very so. heavily in Europe and England, very heavily. Yeah. You know, we're way disproportionate to the percentage of population. Right. All right. Uh, we should hopefully share good news together. And I remind everybody that uh, that one of the ways you'll be able to commemorate Israel Memorial Day and Israel Independence Day is with us this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. Malcolm, I thank you. A good chodesh and a wonderful Shabbos. A good chodesh, and it'll be a symbol of great things to come, and that, uh, God willing, everybody will be safe. Bezrat Hashem, our seventh consecutive Shabbos outside of our synagogues. And uh, let's hope it's the last one outside of our synagogues. Hopefully we get back to our shuls as quickly as possible. So many of us are just missing being in shul. And uh, as much as we appreciate what we can accomplish during an in-home prayer session, because there are many people, I'm sure, who feel like I do that in certain parts of davening, we are concentrating much better than in synagogue. But it is time to get back and, and, and incorporate some of what we've learned in these uh, isolated times into what we do during shul. And I'm looking forward to finally doing that.